Hello, welcome to 70 Plus, where we get to know people who are over 70 with interesting life stories. Today I have with me Edith. She is my mom's best friend, great aunt. That's kind of a mouthful. Edith, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Uh, I'm glad to be here, <laughs> here at all. <laughs> so do you mind telling us how old you are? I was born on Sunday, the 14th of December in 1919. Are you gonna make us do the math? <laughs> a hundred and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you grow up? Towards 101. Right, December will be 101. Wow, where did you grow up? In Ottawa. Okay, how was that for you? Oh, it was a very good place to grow up. So tell me a little bit about your childhood. Well, I lived in a section of a city called the Glebe. And it was a very good section of the city to bring up children in. And I had an older sister and a younger sister and two brothers. Okay, tell me about your parents. My father owned a store on the main street in Ottawa. It had been in our family for generations. It's originally it sold pianos and then it sold, sold radios and eventually it bought the store next door and sold furniture and refrigerators and furnaces and all sorts of things. <laughs> it was me, mainly a few music store to begin with. So tell me more about your dad. What was he like? He had a wonderful personality. He knew everybody in town. He knew, he belonged to the Kiwanis Club and he knew the chief of police and the chief of fire, fire department. Anyhow, he knew everybody. So how old were you during the depression? I was about 10. We lived near a railway. There were two streets between us and the railway train. And men came to the door asking for food. And we always gave them food. So it sounds like your family was doing okay during the depression? depression? Yes. Uh, I can't say that we suffered during the depression. My father took a, a cut in salary, but we we really didn't suffer. We always had a maid still, and we ate well. But we, my mother was a very good manager, and people. Well, for instance, 
I told my aid giver the other day that after high school on a Friday, we'd go down to a, a restaurant and have a Coke. And that was a high flight of the week because <laughs> people didn't keep Cokes, Coca-Cola or ginger ale on hand. Mm -hmm. It surprises me when I go into a grocery store to see the things people buy, including me. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't any hardship. And my friends didn't suffer any hardship too. But people did. We were lucky. Did you watch any of your peers at school suffer? No. Uh, I was young. No, anybody. What did you think when the men came to your door and asked for food? Oh, we always gave them food. They were from out west. The prairies during the depression had uh, a crop failure and they came east looking for jobs and they would ride on the railway. Though those are men that came to the door. I can't think of anybody that, I knew. That was badly affected? No. And I lived in a section of the city that wasn't badly affected. Maybe if I had friends in other sections of the city, I would have noticed it more. So tell me about your mother. My mother was very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> when you were married, women didn't work in those days. And uh, mother made the cakes and Greta made the pies. Greta was very good at making pies. And, and another thing, I notice now the parents go to school. I mean, they go to the school where their children are. Mm -hmm. My parents never set foot in the school. Was that a good thing? And that was typical because none of my friends' parents set foot in school either. Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing? It didn't make any difference to me. If other parents had gone, I would have been envious, I guess, but, but nobody did. <laughs> how was your relationship people. with your parents? I got along fine. My father used to take me to a movie store, I mean, movie. And when I was long, he was born, my older sister was born in 1914 14. at the beginning of the war. And somebody said she should call Warina. 
Warina. <laughs> she wasn't. She was called Elizabeth. Did you have other siblings? My brother Frank, and then my brother Jimmy, and then me, and then there's a gap, and Dulcie came. She had to go into the hospital with my brother, younger brother, because he was born too soon after my older brother. He's the only one that was born in the hospital. The rest of us were born at home, and that was usual. In fact, the doctor came and rested on the sofa until the baby came. <laughs> Can you imagine a doctor doing that now? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that was, I think, unusual then. <laughs> he was a very good doctor. So how is your relationship with your siblings? Pretty good. We didn't always agree, but on the whole, I'd say it was pretty good. My younger of the two brothers and me were very good friends. His friends were my friends. So how was school for you growing up? Oh, fine. I was good at school. I was good at writing exams. I'm still good at puzzles. I don't, don't do the crossword anymore. It's boring. <laughs> I do what's called a quote fall. And you have to decipher a, a quotation. So did you graduate? Just the regular number. The, smallest, youngest one, and then middle one, and then uh, uh, high school, mm -hmm. uh, the usual. She got along well with her teachers, and did you graduate from high school? Yes. And where, where did you work after? Did you get a job after that? Well, I didn't get a job right away. I got a my job by accident, but a friend of mine was looking for a job and I went with her to the Bank of Canada. And the man thought I was looking for a job too. So he gave me a thing to fill out and I took it back home and my parents said, Oh, that would be a nice place for you to work. Get your uncle to sign it and you'll be a shoe in. My uncle had a lot of uh <laughs> and my mother went to the kindergarten with the man who was hiring. That helps. <laughs> and he lived in the Glebe. And he hired people from the Glebe. So when I went to work there, 
I knew a lot of the people that I knew in high school. Well, first I, I counted old money, and then I counted new money, and then the work came along. Well, I guess the work was anyhow, any, and the man who sent out the money, I was what they called the working reserve and chipped out money to the chartered banks. And I got that job because the men went overseas. They enlisted. And I think they thought the bank would collapse when a young woman, there were a pair of us because it was uh, double custody. And I think they thought that we wouldn't be able to do it, but we could, it was simple. How did you feel about that? Did you know that people were maybe rooting against you? No, they were helpful because they didn't think a woman, a fresh, especially a young girl could do it. They were happy with Gertrude me. How long did you work there? Uh, during the war. <laughs> and after the war, the men came back and I wasn't, when I got married, I couldn't keep my job because married women couldn't keep their jobs then. A man was considered the breadwinner. Were you upset that you couldn't keep your job? No, I got married. <laughs> and we bought a, my husband bought under the Veterans Land Act. And you had to have at least four acres or four five acres. So I was in the country and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been convenient for me to keep a job. And my husband was pretty old fashioned. He didn't believe that women should work after they were married. How did you meet your husband? Well, his girlfriend, had a, a sort of cocktail party, but her parents didn't approve of liquor. So it was more of a tea party. And his girlfriend asked me to go and I met John there and he knew my brother, but my brother was already missing. I mean, in the war. He was bombing the ships in Rotterdam and he was killed. But at first they just said missing. But John knew my brother and my brother had been at their house very often 
and at their cottage very often. But I just never met John before. How was it on your family when your brother was killed? Oh, it was dead. We were devastated. What was he like? Well, well, he was a chartered accountant and he won the medal for Ontario when he tried his exams. And then he took his exams from Queen's University, but he didn't go. He did it at home. And one time they told him he was wrong. And he wrote back and told them that they were wrong. <laughs> and they were, because he was working for my uncle and he'd worked on that sort of thing. And then he went to New York and worked for Pete Marwick and Mitchell. And that at that time, they were the biggest accountancy firm in the world. And he told them what they were doing wrong. <laughs> I think it involved Tiffany's when he went overseas. He had lunch or dinner with Mr. Pete, who was a leading man. And the Prime Minister of Luxembourg. Wow. Well, he said being the Prime Minister of Luxembourg was like being the mayor. <laughs> Luxembourg wasn't very, isn't very big. That's true. <laughs> Anyhow, Mr. Pete told him if he would go and work for them after the war, he could choose any city that they had uh, a company in. So you could hardly believe that anybody with such a future ahead of them could be not able to fulfill it. How did he get involved with the Air Force? He joined, well, it's after the, the Nazis went into Norway. He said what they needed was airmen. And so that's why he went into the Air Force. Can My I... other brother went into Army Service Corps, but he came home and I guess that's all. My 21st birthday, my father's funeral was about two days before that. And Frankie was already in the Air Force then. And Jimmy was already overseas. You were young when your father died? Yes, I was 
about to celebrate my 21st birthday. How was that on you? So we didn't have much of a celebration. Right. How did you take his death? It affected me a lot. I don't know how to describe it. Well, that was at the start of the war. Had you met your husband by then? No. So when did you meet him? How old were you? About 23, I guess. What was your first impression of him? I don't really remember. And John was home on leave when I met him. And then he went overseas. Were you dating when he went overseas? Yeah. Were you scared? Yeah. How long was it before he came back? I guess three years. How did you keep in contact? Letters. And letters to my brothers too. And I sent a letter to my brother Jimmy and I got it back and the boat must have been sunk because the letter was that said save S-A-L-V-E-D <laughs> from the sea and you could see that it had been water it had been in water Did that scare you? Yes, and I still have that letter. Wow. And I have a letter that I sent to my other brother and it was returned when he died. So I still have that letter. Had you dated in high school before you met your husband? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about them. Who was your first boyfriend? I was out with a, a lot of my other brother's friends. Did he mind that? No. Uh, it gave him a power. <laughs> Tell her about what they said the, when you were walking into the house and someone said, oh, you live there. Oh, yes. We never locked our doors and people walked in and out. We were located at a, a convenient place for people to come in and out. And one day, my older brother was coming out of the house and he met a, a woman he knew from up the street. And she said, do you go there? And he said, well, I live there. <laughs> and she said, I always thought it was a, boor a boy's school. <laughs> every time I went past, there was a boy either going in or coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it your brother had a lot of friends. Yes. 
we all had a, a lot of friends. We were very lucky that way. And I don't know how my mother stood it. <laughs> oh, yes. I had a great deal of cousins. Uh, on my mother's side, I didn't have so many because they lived in Detroit. But there were three. They were all boys. So my older sister was a friend of the older one, but I didn't see as much of them. I saw them. Uh, they lived up the street from me, but I saw a lot of my father's family. My grandfather had 24 grandchildren. So there was always somebody your age. So I saw a lot of them. Were there any of your cousins that you didn't get along with? No, no. In fact, one of them was best friends with my brother, Jim. And he was like a brother to me. So when he was killed, it was like a brother being killed. How did you get through those hard times? Well, mother said she didn't want Dulcie's childhood to be spoiled by grief. So I tried to keep cheerful because mother and Dulcie and I were alone because my older sister worked for the British a Secret Service and she was in New York and Washington. A lot of Ottawa girls worked for them, the British then. And they told us that they could understand the British accents more, but I think that was nonsense. I think they had to take an oath of allegiance to the king, and Americans couldn't take allegiance to the king. That's, that's my opinion. <laughs> and she went overseas to a place called Bletchley, where they decoded uh, the message the Germans would give to their submarines. And when my husband was in a convoy, going to Sicily, he was attacked by a U-boat and a British battleship came along and rescued them. I wondered if my sister knew decoded where the U-boat was and sent the battleship, but I couldn't ask her because she died before 
Luther secrecy was banished. So uh, we couldn't ask her anything about her job. Now it's not a secret anymore. Mm -hmm. How was it when your husband got back? You weren't married yet, but. We were married shortly after. How long after, do you remember? We were married in 1946. During the war, you couldn't buy a long dress. And if you were married during the war, I guess you could get a dressmaker to make a dress for you. But Freeman's was a large department store in Ottawa. And Mr. Freeman got me the first wedding dress they had and the bridesmaid's dress they had. And it included a pair of nylon stockings, <laughs> which were new then. <laughs> so tell me about your husband. Well, we bought under the Veterans Land Act, and that's, that's why we had a big house. We had that four or five acres. Was City View your first house? Yes. And now it's a historic home, isn't it? They can't knock it down because it's heritage. No. It's historic now. A poet lived there. We knew that at the time. And we took, my mother sold the house after I was married. And then she had built a smaller house. And she moved into an apartment in the meantime. And dogs weren't allowed in the apartment. So we took the dog, the family dog. And when she moved into her new house, we took the family dog back. And he went along, just all the furniture. <laughs> and he went and lay at the front door with his nose at the front door, making it perfectly clear he wasn't going to stay there. <laughs> he liked having the four acres to roam around in. Fair enough. Yes. Tell her what Uncle John did when he got back from the war. What was his business? Well, he worked at four assets and he raised chinchillas. <laughs> but that's why he wanted a place in the country and until he had enough chinchillas to skin and make fur coats out of, he worked at four assets until he had enough. And then he marketed his chinchillas at Hudson Bay in New York.
but they had to be skinned, treated, skinned. And mink breeders had a place in Canada that could, could do it. But he had to send them, chinchilla breeders had to send their pelts to California and then back to Hudson Bay in New York. So you had children? No, no. I'm very thankful for my nieces and nephews. Was that a conscious choice? No. So how many years were you married for? I think 35. My husband died before he was 60. Do you mind talking about that? Well, while my mother was dying of cancer, my husband had a heart attack. So I had to go from one sick bed to another. And I lived on TV dinners. And I forced them to, <laughs> because it was very important that I stay well. That was grueling. He had two more heart attacks. What got you through that, that hard time? Well, it was pretty desperate, but I had friends that helped me. I never drove until my mother left me her car and I learned to drive when I was 50 or 50 something. Was it hard and to learn? I was surprised. First of all, I thought I'd only drive around here. Well, and then, well, driving into the city wasn't as bad as it is now. But the first time I drove into the city, I take my sister-in-law, my brother's sister, to the hospital. Oh, it was a routine. And John made me phone when I got there to make sure I was all right. He was very protective. I used to say, how did you think I managed before I married you? <laughs> <laughs> so did you go back to work once he died? No. What kept you occupied? Oh, the church and bridge. <laughs> what about now? Well, I don't do anything now, <laughs> but until this hit, the virus hit, I still played, played bridge. Have you ever seen something like COVID in your lifetime? Well, there was SARS, but I, everybody talks about it, but I wasn't aware of it. I knew what we call infantile paralysis. It's called polio now. I had a cousin who had it, but she recovered. And another cousin had it later, but she was 
a missionary in India, and people weren't getting it then. But in India, people over here didn't get it. But in India, they hadn't uh, teamed it up yet. And she walked with a cane afterwards. And I had a cousin had diphtheria, but they're all contagious, but they didn't give it to any member of their family. And she, tuberculosis was prevalent. My nephews who lives with me, his mother had it, but she recovered. And I knew people, but they recovered. Warren Booth had it. What's the biggest change just in society that you've seen in your lifetime? I don't know. Uh, one thing that's good, in emergency, you can pick up the phone and dial 911. You couldn't do that when my husband died. I had to phone the doctor, and I had trouble getting a doctor. Do you have any advice for younger generations? Don't get into debt. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Do my best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with me. Yeah, it's very nice to talk to you. Mm -hmm.